Welcome back to Inspired by Interfaith Voices. I'm Kimberly Winston, in this week for Umbreen Khan. We've been looking at new virtual spaces designed to connect young people to faith, spirituality, and each other, and asking if those spaces might be the future of the way we do faith in America. For Casper to Kyle, the answer to that is a reverberating yes. Last year, Turkile and his colleague, Alec Gerwitz, founded The Nearness, an online gathering place where people pay a fee to join a small group that meets for eight weeks. Together they read, share, meditate, and perform small rituals like the lighting of a candle or the burning of incense. Then they explore the big questions. Why are we here? What is good? What is evil? Questions that the world's religions have attempted to answer for millennia. I asked her, Kyle, who lives in Brooklyn, what the nearness is all about. The nearness is a place to explore life's big questions with like-hearted people. We match them into a small group with Bibles or six people. And each week you'll gather with that group of people online for conversations to explore um, meaning, belonging spirituality and it's a, a an opportunity to have a rhythm of reflection and to kind of explore these big questions that maybe day to day we don't have the opportunity to to get to discuss with folks you know as the data shows more than half of the american population now does not belong to a congregation clearly there's an enormous shift in how people are exploring their spirituality and a lot of it is kind of a rich but solo activity and so we wanted to create the nearness as an opportunity to bring those thoughts and reflections into conversation. Do you have any idea of your scope, your reach, how many people from, from what places? Yeah. So we've had folks participate from over 37 different states, I think 19 different countries. So folks sign up and, and we'll meet with that group eight times over eight weeks. Um, so nearly a thousand of those journeys have been completed since September. There's lots of different options for which time to meet at. So it works for, for people at different time zones, uh, which has been fun to see because you'll have people in a small group, you know, someone in the UK, someone in Minnesota, someone in Portugal, someone in, in Austin, Texas. And so um, you, you get to connect with people you might never have met. Uh, and someone recently described it as you, you start as strangers, but you leave as spiritual friends. And I, I think that's a, a great way to describe it. And when I look at the website, uh, virtually all the people I see are young. Now, mm. is that intentional or is it an outgrowth of the fact that we're using technology to connect? Most of our uh, participants have been in their, their 30s and 40s even. Um, but really, the age range has been from 22 to 76. And whatever religious or spiritual background you have, you know, we have folks who are coming from a a pretty um, religious background and things are shifting or people who are pretty atheist, but just really enjoy connecting with people at a deeper level and, and exploring these questions. And so just to be clear, you don't have to be from any specific religious background or even be Indeed. religious at all in order to join this group. We really wanted this to be a place where anyone who is, you know, exploring, whatever that means to them, who's maybe has a particular practice but doesn't belong to a community or grew up with something but that no longer feels like the right place for them or didn't grow up with anything and are, are curious. You know, wherever you land, 
we really ask everyone just to show up as themselves and with, with an open, generous heart and a listening ear. And where did the name The Nearness come from? Well, we were inspired by Ella Fitzgerald and The Nearness of You, that wonderful jazz standard. We live in such an age of isolation and disconnection that I think so many of us are looking for a, a way to connect more deeply with ourselves, one another, and the world around us. I'm of that generation that may think of technology more as a necessary thing. I almost said a necessary evil. Mm. You know, technology is our doorway to a lot of soul-sucking junk. Oh, for sure. So for sure. talk to me about why you guys see technology as a connecting tool. And it's so much less to do with the tool, and it's much more about how we use it, because we invite people to show up, and, and we really stress that we want people to show up with an open heart and a listening ear. And so it's the quality of attention, it's the quality of presence that people have with one another. That's what shapes the conversation and leaves people so energized because they've dipped into something deeper in that 90 minutes than, than everyday conversation, certainly than scrolling through Instagram or being inundated with spam emails. So the technology is a tool, but I think the way in which we use it really shapes the, the kind of energy that we leave with. Mm. Now, you use a word that I want to jump on here. You use the word, it's a container. You, know, mm. you say that the nearness is a container for spiritual mm. exploration. We know that Sunday morning or Saturday morning or Friday mm. afternoon is the most segregated time That's in right. the United States, right? We, we all go into our little self-selected groups and do our worship. So I also feel like technology can, well, we know technology can be isolating. We have all these studies of, of young people feeling more isolated and intimidated by the things that they see in the worst case scenario as it leads to suicide and terrible That's things. Right. That's right. So how do you at the nearness work to overcome the very fact that by using this technology, we're putting ourselves into a container? You know, what's interesting to me is that the polarization that we're in the midst of often is at its most extreme when we feel anonymous. And one of the best mm. things about the modality of small groups is that it is pretty much impossible to really hear the depths of someone's longings and, and the things that their heart break for. And it's nearly impossible to get close to someone in that way and still hate them. One of my, one of my favorite examples of this was that there was a woman who was kind of debriefing her experience. And it's important for this context of, of the story to mention she was a black woman who said, you know, in week five, I started to realize that there was a guy in my small group who was probably a Republican, but it was too late because I loved him already. If we open a conversation and it's about getting to know each other at a, at, at a level that isn't about our work, not about our politics, we start with who we are as human beings, that then there is a possibility of relationship that can withstand the tensions of difference. But I think what, what I'm passionate about is the promise of the modality of a small group where we get to know one another and, and build those relationships on a foundation of um, what we long for as, as human beings. And after that, you know, then, then we can have those, those conversations that can 
can be more polarizing, um, but will be held together um, when there is enough relationship. How are you working to ensure that you do get the diversity? In terms of access, you know, 85% of the American public now uses a smartphone. So there's certainly, uh, in terms of the, the access, hopefully that, that's widely spread. Um, and although we ask people to make a financial contribution when they sign up, we always uh, have a pay what you can option. So um, if, if finances are an issue, you know, everyone is welcome who wants to commit to the, to the eight weeks. I do really uh, hope that we're able to, to set the playing field in a way we help everyone show up, whether it's people using English as a second language or people with, um, you know, a minoritized identity. We really try and make space for, for that to be acknowledged and, and welcomed. Um, and the other thing I would say is that we know that the NINUS is not going to be for everyone. My hope is really that there will be a, a, a flourishing of small group offerings where anyone who wants to be part of a small group of, of mutual support and encouragement uh, and loving accountability, that, that they can find that. And the NINUS will be one of those offerings. But already there are many others, and I, I hope there'll be many more to come. Because really what I care about is thinking, what is the spiritual infrastructure of the future? You know, what's the the kind of mixed ecology of offerings that allow all of us to connect with the things that are most important to us and, and become the people that we want to be in the world. Mm. Okay, so I sign up and I show up for uh, week one. What does it look like? Tell me what happens. Yes, well, the first thing you would do is choose a time that works for you. Uh, so let's say you choose a Tuesday evening. Uh, we'll match you into a group with uh, four or five others, uh, and your your small group will be named after a, a plant or a butterfly or a, uh, a mushroom. So let's say you'll you'll be in group Inky Cap, which is a beautiful fungus. Um, and- As am I, a beautiful <laughs> fungus. <laughs> and we'll then you know invite you into your your first small group gathering. And then each week there'll be a different core activity, an invitation to help people connect more deeply. So in week one, we might invite you to share your spiritual autobiography, which is the story of your life seen through the, the lens of your religious or spiritual background. And so once you hear that from, you know, five or six people in the group, it's just this wonderful sense of uh, an aperture opening of a, a real sense of seeing one another or hearing one another at that deeper level, which is surprisingly rare in our day to day life. Week two, we might invite you to read a poem together and explore the themes, or we'll invite you to reflect on on some core values that you have and where you feel able to embody those and where you feel like you might be falling short. Or we'll we'll invite you to to do a somatic practice and pay attention to what your body is telling you. So all of these are really just different ways to to help us pay attention to these big life questions and, and connect with ourselves and the world around us and each other in this deeper way. So at the end of my eight weeks, what happens? So more than half have been signing up for another journey, but many others have been independently continuing to meet with their small group after the journey ends. You know, they found a rhythm of of conversation that's really worked for them. But really the most important thing is that we hear people say, you know, I had a colleague tell me that I was a lot more patient in a meeting today, or I've noticed I changed the way I'm parenting, or I've gotten involved in this group locally because I was really excited to, to go deeper in you know, my meditation practice or gardening or whatever it is. And so my hope is that we help people feel fully alive in whatever is the right next step for them. You know, I, I really think we need each other to, to remember what life is all about. If this is the way we're going to do 
spirituality, faith, the big questions in the future. I worry about where is the room for this to become outwardly focused? You know, most organized religions have a, you know, go out in the world and make it a better place, a service aspect. And where is the room for the service aspect here? Is that something that you guys work on down the line? How does that fall out? Absolutely. My hope is certainly down the line as we start to bring together people in place-based small groups so that they're in the same town or or region, um, that we'll be able to gather folks together for days of volunteering or service or advocacy. A healthy community always will take that out into the world, that they want to be of service together. But I hope that we'll we'll have many opportunities for more of that down the line in a, a more formal volunteering role. I want to know how the nearness is an outgrowth of your own personal journey, which I know took you as a non-believer to Harvard Divinity School. That's right. Yes. Uh, I like to say I I came to Divinity School as a a gay atheist, and I'm still very gay, but less of an atheist. (laughs) Um, I I wasn't raised with a particular faith, but certainly with a very strong um, sense of community and, and, and ritual and um, and the importance of, of meaning making and relationships. Um, but I think like so many people, I, I have never quite felt like I fit in a particular tradition. Um, now that might be because, you know, people are raised in a multi-faith household or, um, you know, certainly queer people have been made to feel very unwelcome in plenty of spaces. So, you know, there's, there's a good reason for, I think, the, these shifts in, in affiliation. But what endures is a sense of desire for connection, desire for meaning, desire to be of service to others. And so we wanted to found the nearness with the premise of what matters is that you have a sense of something beyond yourself that calls you to love the world, other people, and yourself. And that our spirituality, whatever language we use for it, is about paying attention to that invitation. And so we wanted to create a container in which people could pay attention to these questions together, learn from one another, and also have that you know loving support and accountability from, from being a part of a group that needs you too. Um, my experience is is like a lot of people's, I think, whether you're starting from a place of real religiosity and kind of losing that or starting from a place of not really having much and exploring and wanting to go deeper. Um, so often we find one another in the messy middle in between. I'm wondering if you think we're going to see more groups that are like the nearness in that they're outside the traditional bounds of world religions but attempt to fulfill the same need. Mm. You know, my sense is that that certainly is already happening and that more more will come. But my hope is really that we'll have a, a mixed ecology of many, many different projects that seek to build these kind of connections, um, some in person, some online, some affiliated with a religious tradition, some really open. Um, you know, n- no one organization is going to be for everyone. Um, But I do think that this model of of, of small groups connecting on a regular basis in a kind of a peer-led model is something that would be really powerful for millions of people for whom a traditional congregation just no longer is a thing. I've been speaking with Casper Turkile, co-founder of The Nearness. That's all for this week's show. If you're interested in finding out more about our guests and their projects, 
head over to this episode's page on our website at www.interfaithradio.org. While you are there, you can also learn about us, read the show notes, sign up for our newsletter, and explore the archives. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or by searching Interfaith Voices in the podcatcher of your choice. And while you're there, you can help us out by leaving a rating and a review. It helps others find us. This week's episode was produced by me, Kimberly Winston, Kevin McCarthy, Umbreen Khan, and Renatu Kulabali. Thanks to our founder, Maureen Fiedler, for her vision, and MC Yogi for our theme music. Additional music is by Blue Dot Sessions and Audio Binger. Inspired is a production of Interfaith Voices. We rely on the generous support of our listeners to bring you this show. I'm Kimberly Winston. Thanks for listening. Thank you.